Most of you know this, but if you're new with us, we're walking through Colossians right now. We've been doing that over the last three weeks. And so today we find ourselves in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12. So walking through the book of Colossians, this letter together. <clears throat> Let's pray. Let's pray and then we'll move in that direction. Father, thank you for this time to open your word, God. Lord, I pray that you would lay our hearts bare before your word. Search us, O oh God. Know our hearts. Try us. Know our anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in us, God, and lead us into the way everlasting. God, help us. Help us to honor you as we read your word together, as we meditate over it and study it together, God, I pray that you would help us, God, to glorify your name in the way we hear your word. God, give us hearts of worship where you ought to be worshiped. Give us hearts of obedience, God, where a response is demanded. God, help us, please, not to just go through this time in vain. And I praise you, God, that we can ask these things and hope that that's exactly what you would do. You said we could come to this throne of grace together. Even together, we could come to it and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, we need you now. Give us grace, God, to hear your word. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a little bit of background here. We're about to read this text together. A little bit of background. As Paul is writing from prison, he's writing to the Colossian church uh, from prison. He's never met this church, but he loves them. Uh, he heard about this church through Epaphras, and he's never met them, but he, he loves these people. He cares for these people. Verse 1 and 2, where we've already been, uh, Paul greets these people. He calls them saints. Or holy ones, he calls them holy ones and faithful brethren in his greeting to them. In verse 3 through 8, we see that he gives thanks to God for them. Thanks to God for what God is doing in their lives. And he thanks God for them in verse 3 through 8. And then we come to verse 9 through 12. And he begins to tell them how he prays for them. In other words, guys, I'm praying for you without ceasing. And here's the content of my prayers for your life. And so that's what we see in verses 9 through 12. Let's read those together. And so from the day we heard. Stop there for a minute. Heard what? If you look, if you glance back up for just a moment at verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So he heard about their conversion. He heard about their salvation. He says in verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Faithful, ceaseless prayer, intercession for these people. So what does he pray? And look at the content of his prayer for these people. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will 
and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. So right here we see a prayer coming out of Paul's heart and out of prison for this church that he loves and the prayers for their sanctification. The prayer is aimed at these people's sanctification. I want you to think about the contrast between verse 2 and the passage that we just read. In verse 2, he says to them, he says, you are saints. And yet in verse 9 and 12, 9 through 12, he prays for their sanctification. He calls them in verse 2, holy ones. And yet he prays for their holiness. He calls them faithful brethren. And yet he prays for their faithfulness. And so what we're seeing slammed together here is what happens in a believer's life when they are justified by God and yet sanctified. That God has done a work in our life where we are justified before Him. We are counted in His sight as holy ones and faithful brethren if you're in Christ. And yet in this world and in this life, we strive in sanctification to be holy and to be faithful. And so you see these things slamming together in this passage. This is a prayer for their sanctification. So let's talk for a minute before we go deeper into this verse. I want to just talk for a moment about sanctification. Let's lay a foundation over what that word means, what sanctification is all about. Okay, so let's define sanctification first off. First off, sanctification in that word actually means to be set apart. Think about you continually in a process of being set apart from sin, being set apart from the world, being set apart unto God, set apart unto righteousness. This is the idea of sanctification. It's a process of being conformed into the image of Jesus. Imagine that. Everyone who's in Christ Jesus in the process of sanctification where they're being made into the likeness of Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle. I'm going to read something from this book. This is J.C. Ryle's Holiness. I, I'm going to read a lot from this book. I've been very impacted by this book. So let me tell you really quickly. J.C. Ryle was a pastor in the 1800s, uh, around the same time with, with uh, Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said this about Ryle. He said, Ryle is an evangel evangelical champion, one of the bravest and best of men. And this guy, he defines sanctification in his book here. And I want to read this to you. This is there on your sheet if you have that study guide. It's right there at the top of that study guide. Listen to this definition of sanctification. Sanctification is that inward spiritual work which the Lord Jesus Christ works in a man by the Holy Ghost. When He calls him to be a true believer, He not only washes him from his sins in His own blood, but He also separates him from his natural love of sin and the world, puts a new principle in his heart, and makes him practically godly in life. Let me show you another one. This is from a guy, a Puritan name. Robert Trail. Let me read to you this definition. This is not on your sheet, your study guide there, but this is a definition of sanctification. Listen. Sanctification is the renovation of the whole man. 
Sanctification is the forming and the framing of the new creature. It is the implanting and the engraving the image of Christ upon the poor soul. It is what the apostle breathed, breathed after, that Christ might be formed in them. Galatians chapter 4 verse 19, that Christ might be formed in them. So sanctification, when you think about that, I want you thinking about Romans chapter 8 verse 29. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. This is sanctification, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It gives this picture of us looking at God's word and beholding the glory of God. And therefore being transformed, this is sanctification, transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This is sanctification, this process at the very root of it, the very heart of being conformed into the image of Jesus. Now just for a second, I want you to think about the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification is a one-time act that affects your heavenly record. But sanctification is a process that affects your heart. So justification is a one-time act when you put your hope in Jesus Christ. All your sins that are on your record in heaven get wiped clean because Jesus paid for them at the cross. And on that record, all the sins are wiped away in a moment. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ is put on your record. That's justification. One time it happens and it never changes. You're no more justified now than you will be a million years into eternity. Sanctification, though, is that process where God begins to work in you, not just the imputed righteousness of justification, but the infused righteousness of sanctification, where he makes you have more of a hatred for sin and a love for righteousness like Jesus. It's a process of sanctification. And we see this in Colossians 1, verse 2, like I said. Justification is when they say, when he says, you are saints, you are Holy ones, you are faithful brethren. And sanctification is when he begins to pray. And he's praying, God, make them holy. God, make them faithful. God, do this in their life. Increase their knowledge of you. Increase their faithfulness to you. This letter of Colossians, this letter is in, in a very heavy way. It pushes us towards sanctification. And it, and it speaks against errors of sanctification in this letter to the Colossians. So for example, Colossians chapter 1, in this prayer that we just read, we see Paul's heart longing for their holiness and sanctification. We see that in Colossians 1 verse 9 through 12. We see his heart in wanting that for these people. In Colossians 2, we get this, we get this visual of a people that are... They're going after sanctification in a sense, right? Let me get you to think about this. In Colossians 2, you hear things like this. You're, you're getting warnings about asceticism or about severity to the body. Think about that. Like you, you, you don't, if you don't care much about following God or being right with God, you don't do things like asceticism. You don't do things like severity to your body. I, I think about those guys, and this is kind of an extreme example. But I think about those guys taking those whips and just beating their own backs in some sort of routine of, of honoring God. Have you ever heard of something like that? Those people are not undevoted. Now, they are making grave errors in their sanctification, no doubt. 
And so, but what you see in Colossians 2 is a lot of that sort of thing. It's not, I don't care about following God. It's don't eat, don't touch, don't drink. It's severity to the body. It's, it's philosophy. It's growing in knowledge. It's all these things where they're pushing in in Colossians 2 to a form of sanctification. But it's Christless. It's an error that they're making. And so what we see in Colossians 1 is we know He desires their sanctification, no doubt. But we know in Colossians 2 that they're going to be tempted to go after it in a wrong way. When you get to Colossians chapter 3, you're going to see Him press in to their sanctifications. He says things like, set your mind on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Do something with your mind, Christians. Church of Jesus, do something with your mind. And then He begins to tell them to murder sin. Kill it. Murder sin in your life. And put on Jesus Christ. Put on His character. Put on His ways. And so He begins to push them in the correct way, the right way, not a Christless way. In chapter 3, towards sanctification. So, all in all, this letter speaks a lot to this subject. Now, here's what I want to say to you. These errors that we see in Colossians chapter 2, of these people pursuing sanctification, but do it in a crisis and wrong way. There's a more basic error that you can walk in. There's a more basic error that really makes Colossians 2 of no need to you if you walk in this basic error. And here's what I mean. I simply mean the neglect of sanctification or the minimizing of sanctification in your life. The minimizing of holiness. If you have that error, there's no need because there's no there's nothing in you that says, I want to be sanctified. I want to be like Christ and I'm going to press into that. If there's nothing in you like that. Then really, that's a more basic error, error that subverts the errors that we see in a lot of ways in Colossians chapter two. And I think this is a huge problem in our society and the culture you live in. Think about this. You live in a culture that says things like this. Well, at this time, Jesus was my savior. But Jesus was not my Lord. Now most of you here know that that's a false way to think about it. But think about the heart of what's being said there. You see, Jesus was my Savior. He justified me when I had faith in Jesus. But He's not my Lord. Meaning, I haven't walked in obedience or holiness or sanctification. Because He's not been the Lord of my life. Now we know that that's a false concept. Jesus can't be one or the other. He is Savior and He is Lord. And those that come to Him in faith have faith in the one who is Savior and who is Lord. It's both of these. But that's the culture you live in. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to get you to see is that you're going to have a tendency in that culture to minimize sanctification. Or to neglect this passion for sanctification. It says things like, I want to murder my sin. And I want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to strive with everything in me to be like my Savior. Now this more basic error undercuts the errors of Colossians chapter 2. If you neglect it. So what about you? Have you done that? Have you neglected sanctification in a sense? Have you minimized it in your mind? You had this idea that. Hey all that's done. All that's I've taken care of all that. I've been justified. I had faith in Jesus sometime in the past. I'm not worried about pressing in to sanctification now. Is that you? Is that you? I want to say a few things about the great importance of sanctification. I want to lay this on us. The great importance, the massive importance of us pursuing sanctification. 
First thing I'll say is this. I want to talk about its necessity. The necessity of sanctification. It's necessity for you to go to heaven. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14. It says, listen, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Do you hear the necessity of that? That all those who God justifies, He also sanctifies. This doesn't mean sinless perfection. It doesn't mean you don't struggle with sin. But that's the point. You struggle with sin. You fight it. You come against it in your life. Though it is there, no doubt. But Hebrews 12, 14, it says, Without holiness, without this sanctification, it says you will not see the Lord. Philippians 1, 6 says it like this. He who began a good work in you, will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. This is what He does. This is important. It's necessary because if He's begun a work in you, He promises to complete it. If you're not seeing the completion and sanctification in your life, then it casts doubt on the justification that many claim to have. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, I've already quoted. It says, Whom He foreknew, listen, Whom He foreknew, He also predestined, listen, to be conformed to the image of His Son. For those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. The reality is, is that once you're in this line of salvation that God has provided, sanctification is a part of that to be conformed into the image of His Son. There is no salvation without sanctification. Without sanctification, we go to hell. The unjustified man is in danger of hell, no less than the unsanctified man is in danger of hell. I want you to hear the necessity and the great importance of sanctification. Let me, let me read let me read from J.C. Rowell again. And part of my goal in this is I want to suggest this book to many of you. Holiness by J.C. Rowell. And this is a little bit longer of a quote here, and there's always a danger when that's the case that you zone out halfway through it. Listen, listen to this quote. This is his opening statements about sanctification in this book. Hear it out. The subject of sanctification is one which many, I fear, dislike exceedingly. Some even turn from it with scorn and disdain. The very last thing they would like is to be a saint or a sanctified man. Yet the subject does not deserve to be treated in this way. It's not an enemy, but a friend. It is a subject of the utmost importance to our souls. If the Bible be true, it is certain that unless we are sanctified, we shall not be saved. There are three things which according to the Bible are absolutely necessary to the salvation of every man and woman in Christendom. These three are justification, regeneration, and sanctification. All three meet in every child of God. He is both born again and justified and sanctified. He that lacks any one of these three things is not a true Christian in the sight of God. And dying in that condition will not be found in heaven and glorified in the last day. It is a subject which is, which is seasonal, seasonable in the present day. Strange doctrines have risen up of late upon the whole subject of sanctification. Some appear to confound it with justification. Others fritter it away to nothing under the pretense of zeal for free grace and practically neglect it altogether. 
Others are so much afraid of works being a part of justification that they can hardly find any place at all for works in their religion. Others set up a wrong standard of sanctification before their eyes and failing to attain it, they waste their lives in repeated successions from church to church, chapel to chapel, and sect to sect in the vain hope that they will find what they want. In a day like this, a calm examination of the subject as a great leading doctrine of the gospel may be of great use to our souls. And so what I hope you hear and what I'm telling you from God's word, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And, and, and pushes from men of old like this, I'm hope, I hope that you are hearing the great importance of this subject of sanctification. Let me, let me move to another reason why it's so important. God has commanded it. God has commanded this. Not only is it necessary, but God has commanded it. Romans 12, 2. Listen, do not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed. That's sanctification through the renewing of your mind. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification. You don't get much clearer than that, right? This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, we hear the, com the command. Grow. A sanctification. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, be holy, for I'm holy. Be holy as He is holy. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, Laying aside every weight, and the sin which so easily snares us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Looking unto Jesus. Do you hear the striving in sanctifi sanctification? We put aside sin. And we run towards Christ. John 17, 17. Jesus even prays for us. He's saying, he's saying to the Father in His prayers. Sanctify them. Sanctify them. By your truth. And your word is truth. So it's necessary. It's so, I'm talking about the importance of sanctification. It's necessary. God has commanded it. And let me mention one more thing. Christ has done so much to provide for our sanctification. It should show you how important that it is. Think about what Christ has done to provide for your sanctification. He has made you, if you're here and you're in Christ Jesus, He's made you a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says that anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. What I'm saying to you is when God saved you, it's not just something on a piece of paper. It's not just on the record in heaven. That's true. But in salvation, He does something to you. He makes you a new creature, a new creation. He's given you a new heart of obedience. Let me read this to you in Ezekiel chapter 36. Listen. A new heart of obedience. Listen. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you, hear it out. I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Why? Why? I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey 
my rules. God makes us a new creation. God gives us a new heart and His Spirit resides in us. His Spirit comes to indwell us, to enable us to obey God, to walk with God, to be sanctified. Not to mention that Jesus in our salvation becomes our great high priest. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 it says that we can be saved to the uttermost. Those who come to God through Jesus can be saved to the uttermost because He always lives to make intercession for us. Think about what's been provided for you in Christ Jesus. New heart, new spirit within you. New creation. And you're great high priest. And if God has provided all of that for your sanctif sanctification to be conformed to the image of Jesus, don't you see how important this is? Don't you see how big of a deal this subject is? And so in that, I want to turn to Colossians 1. Turn back to that, those verses. For this foundation of the importance of sanctification in your mind. We don't want to be those people. We don't want to be, we don't, we don't want to fall into that error and that sin of neglecting or minimizing sanctification. So with all those things in your mind, we're going to turn to Colossians 1 verse 9 through 12. And, and I want you to see just a few points from this, from this, this, uh, this, this prayer here, okay? One, I want you to see the content of his prayer. And in the content of Paul's prayer for the Colossian church, we're going to see a description of of sanctification. We're going to see a description. In other words, as he prays for them, he's praying for their sanctification. So we're going to see the description of what the sanctified life looks like. And what are some points that are there in his description of sanctification? Let me first say what's not in the description. What is not in this description when you think about sanctification is, is something like this. Look, I'm praying for you that you just stay out of trouble. You know, that you don't, you know, drink and drive and, and, and do real bad things. I'm just praying for you that you just be a decent human being, that you just be a kind person. Uh, he's not praying those sort of things. That's not what's coming to his mind. I'm not saying those things aren't a part of it, but I'm just, I, I believe in our culture so often when we think about sanctification, we have a Mr. Rogers mindset about it. And so he's a nice guy. He's, a, he's just a good guy. So, so that's sanctification. That's not the things that are mentioned here. It's not just a, a vague, all-around good person type thing. Remember those guys that Jonah was on the boat with? Those were some decent guys, right? Yet pagans. Decent guys that didn't want to throw them overboard. Yet total pagans. And so what I'm trying to get you to see, there's something else here. There's something else to press into when you think about Sanctification. So what is in this description is this. Three things. We see knowledge. We see action. And we see power. So Paul, when you pray for these people's sanctification. Paul, when you think about their sanctification. When you think about that. What comes to your mind? Knowledge. Actions. And power. Let me just show you that from the verses. Verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled. Here's the knowledge part. When I think about sanctification, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There it is. Knowledge and wisdom and understanding increasing in the believer. What about actions? Verse 10. So as to walk. 
in a manner worthy of the Lord. So you got knowledge and you got the walk. You got the wisdom and the walk so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work. These are actions and in increasing in the knowledge of God. And in verse 11, we see the power. So we've got the knowledge, the action, and here's the power. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And I'll stop right there. So let's, I want to begin thinking about this description of sanctification with knowledge. The primacy of knowledge when you think about your own pursuit of holiness. Think about the place that knowledge is given right here in this passage. Just think about the place that is given. It's the first thing that he says. When he's thinking about their holiness, their pursuit of holiness, he says that you might be filled with the knowledge of God in spiritual wisdom and understanding. And even at the end of verse 10, at the end of the actions, it says that you might increase in the knowledge of God. Beginning and end, that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will, that you might increase in the knowledge of God. And even when we get to the action part in these verses, if you look at it, verse 10 says, so as to, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So it's as if this knowledge and this wisdom, which has been given such a bad rap in our culture. You know what I mean by that? Oh, it's just knowledge. You know, he's just full of knowledge. It's been because people have abused it. And use it the wrong way. And it hasn't been the real knowledge that the Bible speaks about. People begin to have a bad taste in their mouth. For knowledge and wisdom. And a pursuit of God's word and understanding. And I'm telling you. Here it's given primacy. Here it's, it's given a first place. In, this, in his thoughts. On sanctification. Even to the point where he says. That you might be filled with knowledge. So that you can walk. In a manner worthy of. Of the Lord. So it's given a high, high place. I want to highlight a word here. It says spiritual. That you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. And all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What he's getting at there. He's talking about a, a specific kind of knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And it's the spiritual kind. He's not talking about the, the knowledge and the intellect that just the natural man can have, that the pagan can have. He's not talking about just natural understanding. He's talking about that which is from the Spirit of Almighty God, working through His Word to open your eyes. I want to give you a picture of this. If you can hold your place, go to Deuteronomy 29. Here's a picture of what I mean. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Don't you see that there's a knowledge and there's a spiritual knowledge. There's an understanding and there's a spiritual understanding. Verse 2. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen. I like that word. You have seen. All that the Lord did before your eyes. In the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. Did they see? Did they see it with their eyes? Yes. But look at verse 4. But to this day, the Lord has not 
given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I want you to think about that. He just said, I've given you, you have seen it with your eyes, but I've not given you eyes to see. You've seen it, but you don't see it. You understand it, but you don't get it. You do not understand it. So when you think about this spiritual wisdom and understanding, this is what we're going after. I want us to grow in increase in sanctification in understanding and knowledge and wisdom that is revealed to us by the Spirit of God through His Word. Let me give you another verse. Ephesians chapter 1. It's another prayer. In Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 17. Listen to this prayer. We see something similar. It's a prayer that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. There's that, there's that knowledge getting put in the first place again. In revelation and the knowledge of Him. Listen. Having your eyes, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you think about that did you know your heart had eyes that the eyes of your heart not these eyes with which the israelites saw but he had not yet given them eyes to see the eyes of their heart had yet to be open and so when we think about growing in sanctification in this sort of way this is what we're talking about it's spiritual wisdom spiritual Understanding This is extremely important. So I want you to think about this. So how do we do this? What does it look like? How do you grow? As, as we think about Paul's view of sanctification, being filled with the knowledge of God, increasing in the knowledge of God, filled with wisdom. And how do you go after that? How do you pursue the knowledge of God that we're speaking about here? And it's through God's Word. It's through the Bible. It's through the Scriptures that we pursue this sort of thing. Think about these verses. John 17, 17. I mentioned it earlier. Jesus prays. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. God's doing the sanctifying. But he does it through the truth of his word. It's the word of God. Or think about this verse. Psalm 19, verse 7. It says the testimonies of the Lord are right. Making wise the simple. Taking, them, taking us from simple and increasing us in a, in, a, in a progression to where we become wise. It's a sanctification through God's Word. Or Psalm 119, verse 9. What does it say? It says, how does a young man cleanse his way? How does a young man go after sanctification? How does a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your Word. By taking heed according to your Word. So what would that look like? What would a life of sanctification look like? A life filled with knowledge, understanding, wisdom, growing and increasing in the knowledge of God. What would a life like that look like? I want you to think about their relationship with the Bible. Think about their relationship with the Bible. One preacher said the Bible is like our intimate friend. That the Bible, there would be not just a, a superficial relationship with God's Word, that the, but that the Bible would be your intimate friend. Friend, I say let's 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 be gone with these cute little quiet times that we force ourselves to have to go into. I don't mean that. I mean a relationship with the book of God, with God through his book, a relationship that is deep and meaningful and you want God's word. This is what that might look like.
What about being devoted to God's Word? What about being drenched in God's Word? Reading God's Word regularly? Meditating on God's Word? Hiding God's Word in your heart? Studying it? Longing to hear it preached and taught? Just a relationship around God's Word? We're talking about what would it look like to increase in knowledge? And that's what I'm giving to you. Consumed by God's Word. Disciplining our flesh that we might dive into God's Word. I just think about somebody slipping off. You know, kind of slipping off to the side of these little moments they have of free time. And say, I just want to open the book. I just want to hear from the living God in the book. Go to Proverbs chapter 2. This is the scriptural picture of what it might look like to increase in sanctification and the knowledge of God. Proverbs 2 verse 1. I'm going to read 1 through 6. Look at it. My son, if, if, this is an if-then statement. If you do this, then here's the result. My son, if you, here it is, receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Think about that. Receiving His words, hide it in your heart. Making your ear attentive to wisdom. Inclining your heart to understanding. If you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. Imagine somebody over the book of God saying, God, teach me. God, I want to know what you have to say. Open my eyes, the eyes of my heart to your word. Verse 4. If you seek it like silver. If you search for it as for hidden treasures. Here's the then. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. And I love that picture. I love that picture of somebody before God, daily and regularly before the book of God and how they seek God through that. It's a pursuit of knowledge. You know, kind of a side note here. When you see this kind of primacy being put forward in, in knowledge, when you think about sanctification, this is the reason that you hear questions such as this. Uh, hey, Nick, how's it going, man? What's God been teaching you? Hey, hey, Zachary, how's your time in the Word been, man? What's God showing you? What, what are you learning right now? See, I, I think sometimes people may get a distaste. Most of you don't, but some might get a distaste in their mouth for that kind of language. But listen to me. This is why this is so important. We long for each other to be, to be growing in holiness, right? We long for each other to grow in sanctification. And such a large part of that is what is God speaking to you through His Word? Let me move on to the next one. To the necessity of action. Let me break down. So back in Colossians 1. Let me kind of break down that verse 10. And the kind of action that's being shown here. Verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's the action. Walk it out. The wisdom and the walk. Walk it out. So, so walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then kind of as like three subtitles under this. Here's what that might look like. Walk in a manner Worthy of the Lord. Number one, fully pleasing God. Excuse me, fully pleasing to Him. Did you know that? Like a son to his father. My son will always be my son no matter what. But there are times where he can please and he can displease. That we can please the Father. 
Do you know we can walk in that way? Number two, bearing fruit in every good work. Who doesn't want that? You pray that for the people of God, that we might bear fruit in every good work. And number three, increasing in the knowledge of God. Those three things, that is the, the walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Do you pray this for our church? Do you pray this for our brothers and sisters? This is the prayer that Paul is putting forward here. Now here's, here's what I want to highlight, what I said a moment ago. First three words, verse 10. So as to. Those three words. Some versions say, so that. Or so as to are the words that are given to it. This, this phrase, it, it connects two aspects of our sanctification. It connects the knowledge of God, our increase in the knowledge of God, and the outflow of action that should come out of that. So the connection between the knowledge of God and action is, is these words at the beginning of verse 10. So, so as to. Okay, so here's, here's what you're supposed to get out of that. That we might increase in the knowledge of God so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They are connected. They affect each other. The wisdom that you have, it affects your walk. The learning that you have affects your living. Your doctrine affects your doing. That's the idea that's being given with that phrase, so as to. Now, and listen, two, there's two false ideas, false mindsets that get obliterated with that little connection. That connection between knowledge and action, two false ideas that get obliterated. And the first one is this, okay? The first, this is the first false idea. You know, I don't really need to learn the Word. I just need to do it. I need to go do it. I need to do some action. I don't need to learn the Word. And in a lot of ways, I've heard people say those sort of things. Well, this, this part of the Scripture, Colossians 1, obliterates that, right? He says, as you are filled with the knowledge of God and wisdom and understanding, so as to walk it out, so as to have the action. These two cannot be disconnected. Some other places in the Scripture that say things like that. Let me give you some examples. Proverbs 19.27. Listen to this. Cease listening to instruction and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Did you hear that? That says, if you cease listening to instruction, you stop learning, stop going to God's Word. If you stop that, you here's the promise. You will stray from the words of knowledge. So these things cannot be they can't be disconnected. You can't say, well, I just need to do it. I don't need to read it. I just need to do it. I don't need to be in the Word. I need to be taking action on the Word. I understand the sentiment there sometimes. But what I'm getting at is you cannot disconnect these things. Think about Joshua 1.8. It says, in His law, He meditates day and night. Now, what does that look like? And then it says, so that He might do according to all that is written in it. They're connected, meditating on God's Word that you might be able to do according to what's written in it. Same thing in Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 and 19. It says, He shall read it. They go out reading God's Word. He shall read it all the days of His life. That He might learn to fear the Lord as God and be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So here's the, here's the idea. That this reading of God's Word and meditation over God's Word has a direct effect on your actions and your work. So you cannot disconnect them. Now the second false idea is this. That it's actually possible. It's a false idea. That it's actually possible to increase in understanding but not be a doer of it. 
It's actually possible to increase in your knowledge and wisdom, spiritual knowledge and wisdom, and not do it. And here's what I'm saying. That's a false idea. Our verse here says in Colossians 1, it says that as they increase in knowledge, or as they are filled with the knowledge of His will and understanding and wisdom, so that they might walk worthy of it. Now let me give you an, another idea. That Psalm 111, Psalm 111 verse 10, it says this, listen, a good understanding have those who do His commandments. So a, a good understanding have those who do His commandments. So if you gain understanding from God's Word and there's no action that comes out of that, whether it's worship to the living God or whether it's service to His people, whatever it might be, if there's no action coming out of that, you didn't gain spiritual understanding. You don't get it. It always affects your actions when you have true spiritual understanding. So, if you take these two verses together, you take verse 9 and verse 10, knowledge and action coming together, what would a life like that, what, what would it look like? It looks like increasing in knowledge in God's Word, and it looks like an overflow of taking action in that. It, it, it looks like a deep, a deep relationship with God in the book of God, and the overflow of that being worship to the living God, and service to the living God, advancing His kingdom, becoming like Him. This is the fruit of coming to God like that in His Word. So this is what verse 9 and 10 life, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 life would look like. Third thing, the divine power. Look at verse 11, first part of verse 11. So Paul, when you think about a sanctified life, you think about knowledge, you think about action, and then here's power, verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Stop there for a minute. Think about that. What a request that is, right? May they be strengthened. Okay, that's normal. May they be strengthened. May they be strengthened with all power. What kind of request is this? That they might be strengthened with all power? Well, what kind of power, Paul? The According to His, God's glorious power. His glorious might. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Do you see how incredible of a request that is? In my regular reading, coming through the Word recently, I came to Luke 24. And Luke 24, is verse 49, is where He says that you will be clothed with power from on high. You'll be clothed with power from on high. And as soon as I thought about that, I began to think about those things. Oh God, let that be put on display in my life. I want to be clothed with power from on high. Let that be put on display in our lives. Okay? I began to think about some biographies that I've read in the past. You ever read a biography about a Christian? A Christian of old? And you read some of these biographies and you walk away from the biography and you think... Um, Man, he was just, that was just an awesome dude. He, he was just diligent, and he was great, and he did all these hard-working things, and you think about that. But then you read some of those biographies, and you walk away, and you go, man, that was God in his life. That was God that did that. That can only be explained by power from on high. That can only be explained by God's glorious might and power being poured out into a person's life. It's the only way that his life makes sense. Don't you desire that? Don't you desire that? 
As we pray that prayer, may you be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. That you might live a life that when it's all said and done, it can only be explained by that was the hand of God in His life. That was the hand of God. I know I want that. Now look, still looking at verse 11. You see, you see where it says 4? Look at where we stopped. It says 4. It's telling us what we need this divine power for. What do we need this divine power for? For all endurance and patience with joy. We need this divine power for all endurance and patience with joy. Now endurance there is like to hold to hold your spot in battle. To hold one's position in battle. When bullets are flying over the head. That you hold your position. That when you're injured you hold your position. It's perseverance. It's endurance. The word patience there is long suffering. It's to suffer long. It hurts. But I keep suffering long through it. I hold my position in battle. And get this. With joy. With joy. All of this with joy. Now I want you to think about that. Imagine living out the Colossians 1 verse 9 through 10 life. Filled with knowledge. Increasing in the knowledge of God. A walk worthy of the Lord. The actions fully pleasing Him. Fruitful in every good work. Now you imagine living out that life with endurance. To the end, holding your position in battle, living out that life with long suffering. Nothing can knock you off of your path permanently. The scripture says, though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hands. He upholds us in that. That's our sanctification. Though all hell unleashes its weapons against you, you stand enduring in battle. And for this, we need the power of God, especially when we think of doing all that with what? With joy. Enduring with joy. We need the power of God. Divine power of God. So think about it. Paul asked for divine power in their lives for what? For healing? No. Signs and wonders? To raise the dead? No, he didn't ask power for any of these things. So what is it that, that we're thinking about Paul's prayer here, what is it that puts the power of God on display in a Christian's life? And I say, you show me. You want to see the power of God? Show me a man and woman, a man or a woman, delivered from the power of darkness, delivered from the kingdom of Satan, brought into the kingdom of the Son, Jesus Christ, brought into that kingdom, and yet not taken to heaven, but, but, but made to stay on this earth. Not taken to heaven yet, but made to stay on this earth. And while they're on this earth, Satan begins to bombard them. Bombard the Christian with an onslaught of temptations and deceptions that even the strongest man and the wisest man cannot endure. And then trials begin to flood into this Christian's life because they still live in a broken world, in a, in a dark world. But you know what the Christian does? He endures. He stands fast. He stands fast in the midst of the battle. He long suffers through it. And get this, with joy. Because he has his God. And his God loves him and gave himself for him at the cross. That's the power of God. I got to spend some time just yesterday with, uh, with Ken and Brenda. I think she's with the kids right now. Miss Brenda's with the kids. 
And these verses came to my mind as I got to spend just a little bit of time with them. If you don't know what's been going on with Ken and Brenda, they've been going through a lot of trials, a lot of heavy things, sicknesses, bedridden sicknesses, can't figure out what's going on, uh, family, uh, family things going on, death in the family, just some really hard trials in this moment. I was sitting there talking to him, to, to Ken, to Mr. Ken there for a little bit. And, and I don't remember the exact verse, but he told me, he said, he said, you know, there's this verse that I read in the midst of all this. And it says, it says that he would save me for the glory of his name. And here's a simple little verse, simple little truth from God. He'll save me for the glory of his name. And it's like it infused comfort into his soul. It's like it gave him purpose in his soul. And so, and so here's what I'm saying. I walked away from that scenario. And here's all these trials piled up on them. They still live in this broken world. There's all this onslaught of temptations in the midst of these trials. All this deception in the midst of these trials that they're in in those moments. And what is God doing in his life? Jesus is whispering into his ear, I'll save you for the glory of my name. For the glory of my name. And he finds comfort and he finds joy. And I thought in my heart, that's the power of God. That's the power from on high in somebody's life. God's power is not mainly put on display through healings and through signs and wonders, but through a sanctified life that perseveres with joy to the end. Next question from that section, from this section of Scripture, Colossians 1. Who is the hero of my sanctification? Who is the hero of my sanctification? Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father... Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So who's the hero of my sanctification? It's God is. And what I see here is the same God who qualifies us is the God who sanctifies us. The God that qualifies us for heaven, for heaven is the God that sanctifies us. That's why Paul is going in prayer to God for their sanctification. Because God does it. He's the hero of sanctification. He's the one to be praised. So he's the God who qualifies us. Let's think about that for just a minute. Verse 12. He's the God who qualifies us. Think about that. We are not just unqualified for heaven. You realize that, right? We are actually further than that. We're actually disqualified for heaven. We're not just unqualified. We're disqualified. We have disqualified ourselves for heaven. Our sin disqualifies us. The only thing that our sin does is qualify us for hell. So you take all of your sin and your record before God, your sinful heart, your sinful nature before Him, and we are only qualified to go to hell forever. We are unqualified, disqualified even from heaven. But Christ Jesus, think about it, the Father who qualifies us, the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world, to come to rescue, to save, to go to a cross for sinners like us. And at that cross, our sin that disqualifies us was laid upon Him and He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He came to save. He came to qualify us. And not just our sin, but even our ignorance. Our ignorance disqualified us from heaven. We can't step into heaven without seeing the glories of Jesus Christ. We wouldn't even enjoy it there. 
And here we are, we're on this side of things, we're on this earth, and we are blind to the things of Christ. We might know facts about Him, but we just don't get it. We don't see His glory. We don't see His beauty. We don't understand it. We don't have the spiritual understanding of the Son, Jesus Christ. But then God deals with that disqualification and He opens our blind eyes that we might see Christ. And that's happened with so many people in this room. That God opened your eyes to your sin and you saw it and you realized, man, I deserve hell. What am I going to do? And then He opened your eyes to Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him risen and He became beautiful to you and you turned to Him and you were saved. And so He's the God who qualifies us. For an inheritance for the saints and the light. The one who qualified us is the one who sanctifies us. Just like, think about this. The same God that qualifies us is the God who sanctifies us. Just like Paul is praying to God. God, do this in their life. God, give them an increase in knowledge. God, cause them to walk in a manner worthy of you. God, do this because he knows that God is the hero of sanctification. He's the one that does it. In the same way Jesus prayed. He prayed like that, right? John 17, 17. God, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. So God sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the hero of our sanctification. And there's some implications to that. If that's true, then here's what we have to do. Here's how, here's some ways that we must respond. We must, no doubt, strive earnestly for sanctification. And at the same time, we trust in God for sanctification. We strive earnestly for it. And while we're doing that, we trust in God to do it, to sanctify us completely, even to the very end. So think about those two things together, striving and trusting. Let's start with striving. Did you know that you have to strive earnestly for sanctification? When we get over to Colossians chapter 3, that's what you're going to see. Murder sin in your life. Kill it. Kill it. And put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You're going to come across things like that when we get to Colossians chapter 3. But let me give you some other verses as well. Proverbs 13 verse 4. It says, the lazy man desires and has nothing. But the soul of the diligent will be richly supplied. So here it is. You can be in a place where, yeah, I desire to be sanctified. I desire to be holy. I desire to be like Christ. But a lazy man desires and has nothing. But it's the one that strives. It's the one that presses in. The diligent one who is richly supplied with sanctification. 1 Corinthians 9.24 compares us to a runner. It says, don't you know this? Listen, Grace Community Church, don't you know this? That all those who run in a race, they all run. But one gets the prize. Run in such a way that you might attain it. And all those who compete for the prize, they become self-controlled and temperate in all things. And they do it for a perishable crown. But we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore, we run, not with uncertainty. Thus, we fight, not as one just beating the air, lest we ourselves become disqualified. So the push there in that verse is you're like a runner. Run as if to win. Strive for sanctification. Paul told the Philippians that he, he strained forward for that upward prize. He moved. He leaned into it. 
This is striving for sanctification. Have you grown dead in that? If so, wake up. Wake up to it. To striving like a runner for sanctification. Let me read something to you from J.C. Ryle again. He, he compares in this passage, in this little paragraph, the Christian life to a fight. The first thing I have to say is this. True Christianity is a fight. True Christianity. Let us mind that word true. There is a vast quantity of religion current in the world which is not true. Genuine Christianity. It passes muster. It satisfies sleepy consciences. But it is not good money. It is not the real thing which was called Christianity 1800 years ago. There are thousands of men and women who go to churches and chapels every Sunday. They call themselves Christians. Their names are in the baptismal register. They are reckoned Christians while they live. They're married with a Christian marriage service. They mean to be buried as Christians when they die. But you never see any fight about their religion. Of spiritual strife and exertion and conflict and self-denial and watching and warring, they know literally nothing at all. Such Christianity may satisfy man. And those who say anything against it may be thought very hard and uncharitable, but it certainly is not the Christianity of the Bible. It is not the religion which the Lord Jesus founded and His apostles preached. It is not the religion which produces real holiness. True Christianity is a fight. It's a fight. We strive for sanctification. But here's the other side of it. At the same time, we trust in God. While we run the race, we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Do you hear that? Like runners running, and yet Christ is the finisher. This is how we run our lives. Psalm 127 about trusting God. Psalm 127 verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. We can strive and strive and strive, but without God, without God's moving upon us, it's nothing. And so this trust in God is our great sanctifier. The way that trust expresses itself is what? It's prayer. It's so often prayer. This trust... It shows itself in prayer, which is exactly what we see in Colossians chapter 1. As he prays to God, God, do this in their lives. In chapter 3, he's going to command them to do it. Kill sin in your life. Walk and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But first he goes to God and says, God, give them this. Give them holiness. Give them faithfulness, God. It's prayer. And so that brings me to my last point here from this passage. That Paul, won't you notice this, Paul was a ceaseless intercessor for the saints. Paul was a ceaseless intercessor for the saints. Look at verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Catch that. Since the day that we heard about it, we heard. Epaphras came and I was in jail. He told me about you. He told me about your faith and your love for all the saints and your hope in God. And since that moment, I've not ceased to pray for you. I'm crying out to God on your behalf. He was a ceaseless intercessor for the saints. Now, why do you think Paul was like that? I think he loved the church. At least one reason is that he loved the church. People that he had not even seen here. And he loved them. 
In Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, listen to the love. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those who are later to see it, for all oh, not seeing me face to face. Do you hear that? Think about that heart towards the church. I know I hadn't seen you, but man, I got this struggle in my soul for you. I got this struggle. I love these people. And I got this struggle in my soul for you. And this struggle in my soul drives me to pray, to pray, to pray to God that He might do a work in your life. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28 and 29. We see Paul's heart in another place. He said, listen to this. He says, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. The ESV says it something like this. What is this daily pressure that's on me? What is this daily pressure that I feel? He says, it's my deep anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who's not made to stumble? And I don't burn with indignation. Think about this love in his heart that drives him to this place to be able to say something like this. Colossian Church, since the day I heard about it, I've not ceased to pray for you. I'm praying for you. I'm going to God on your behalf. Paul was a faithful, ceaseless intercessor for the saints. Now, in kind of closing up here, how can we follow his example? How can we follow his example? And I'll give you three, three ways here I believe we can follow this example. Number one is this. We need to realize that believers need prayer. Not just lost people, not just the nations, although I want to pray with you guys and privately for those things as well, no doubt. But believers, Christians, this church, Grace Community Church, needs prayer. We need, we need people going to God and interceding on behalf of your brothers and sisters. And I want you to realize that. We see that here. In verse 9, since the day we heard, he, he didn't say, hey, I heard you got saved. I was praying for that and I stopped praying because you're saved. He said, no, actually, since the day I heard that you were Christians, I began to pray for you and I haven't ceased since then. Praying for Christians. We see that in, in, in John 17 in Jesus' prayer. Remember, he says things like this. He says, he says I pray for you. I, I don't pray for the world, but I pray for those whom you've given me, Father. Believers need to be prayed for. Flip with me to Ephesians real quick. Ephesians chapter 6. I hope to convince you of something here. I hope God's Word by His Spirit convinces you. How can we... We're talking about how we can follow the example of Paul here. Realize, number one, the believers need to be prayed for. Look at verse 18. 6.18 Praying at all times in the Spirit. Without prayer... And supplication. To that end, keep alert. So in that prayer, in that supplication, you pray unto God. Keep alert. Without perseverance. Making supplication for who? All the saints. Making supplication for all the saints. Now I'm suspicious that when he says that, he doesn't mean I want you to pray for every believer on the planet. Although there's a sense in which we should do that. But here's, here's why I say that. Verse 19, Paul says, And also for me. So apparently Paul did not fit into that group called all the saints. I think what he's pushing into them right there is pray. Continue on in perseverance in prayer for all the saints. Pray for your church. The way I apply that in my life is to pray for Grace Community Church. Pray for them. Proud to the living God for them. It doesn't mean we don't pray for others. But for sure we pray for our church. 
We pray for all the saints in our church. So believers need to be prayed for, number one. Number two is this. I want to encourage you to be faithful in private prayers for the saints. Be faithful in your private prayers for the saints. And by private, I mean Matthew 6, 6. Jesus says, you when you pray, go to your room and close your door. And when you close your door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Pray to Him in a secret place. Not just to be seen by men, but your devotion and passion and prayer all by yourself, in your home, in your closet, in your room, on your back porch. You crying out to God. Be faithful in that. Be a ceaseless intercessor for your fellow church members. Like Epaphras. Go, go to Colossians chapter 3. How would you like this to be said about, about you? Excuse me, if, uh, Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Look at this, Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in His prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. I love that phrase. May we follow in His example. And we think about our church that we do this. We always struggle on their behalf in prayers. Epaphras struggling before God. Laboring before God in prayer for this group of people. Imagine yourself going after that. Imagine Paul in prison. And, and he can't get out. His body cannot get to the Colossian church. But he begins, he begins to cry out to God. And those prayers lift out of a prison cell. And they go up like incense before God. And the Almighty God moves in their life. Imagine the impact he had on the Colossian church from a prison cell. And here we are, like Epaphras, cry out to God in prayer, struggle in intercession on other people's behalf. You've heard me say this many times, but I want to mention it again. I, want, I just want to keep saying this. That membership list that you have, if you're a member of Grace Community Church, you have a membership list. What a tool. What a great tool that you have. That you can take that and it represents people that you love and that you care for. And that you can obey Ephesians 6.18 toward to pray in supplications for all the saints. And you begin to pray through this list of these people. You find something encouraging, you text it to them. You call them, you check on them. Because you're praying through this list of these people. It's a beautiful thing. I heard a guy, we've talked about this before. that He said the second most important book for a Christian is... Number one is the Bible. Number two is the membership directory. And you say it because we, we need to pray for these people. You know, you can't know everybody. If you're a member of Grace Community Church, you can't know everybody in the church. Not, not intimately. It's just too many people. But imagine knowing so many people by name. Why? Because I pray for them. Because I, because I don't know them. I haven't even hardly had a conversation with that guy. But I've come across that name in prayer several times. I'm proud to the living God. I love them and I have, I have struggles over them. And I struggle over them in prayer. That's a glorious ministry. I want to encourage you to be faithful in that. Number three is this. I want to encourage you to engage in the corporate prayer meetings of the church. 
engage in that time. Think about Acts chapter 4 that we mentioned so many times as we moved into prayer. Acts chapter 4 it says, and these people, these friends, these, these believers, this church in Jerusalem, they lifted up their voice to God in one accord. Can you imagine that in corporate prayer? That we engage in that, that we lift up our voices to God together, corporately, when the church gathers on Sunday, engage in it. And those smaller group Bible studies, engage in the prayer meetings there. I envision prayer meetings just popping up everywhere. When people come into your home, you say, hey, let's take a second to pray, to call out to God together. Or hey, would you meet me on Thursday morning? Let's just begin to pray, to pray to God on this particular morning. But let's engage in corporate prayer as well as in private prayer that we might follow in the example of Paul. And so what I want to do now is I just want to close by doing this. I want us to pray together. And I want us to pray this passage, Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to lead us out in prayer over this passage in the scripture for our church. And I want to invite you to come and let's pray together. Let's engage in prayer and call out to God. Just like those prayers went up from a prison cell, the prayers can go up to God from here like sweet incense to Him and have an impact on this church. I want to invite you, if you're able or willing, I realize that some are not, whether physically or holding babies or whatever it might be, but if you're able and willing, if you'd like to slip out of your chair and get down on your knees and bow down before God as we pray, you're welcome to do that. I'm going to do that right here and lead us out in prayer together, okay? So we're going to close that way. Please pray with me. Father, we want to come before you in prayer right now. I want to come before you in prayer, God. Thank you for this access to your throne, to this throne of grace. Thank you for this beautiful access, God, that we get to come to you right now. Oh, God, hear our prayers. God, hear our prayers and be glorified. God, teach us to struggle, to struggle before you in prayer, God, for other people. Teach us to be ceaseless intercessors like Paul was. Lord, I pray that you help us to follow in that example, God. God, teach us what it is to enjoy going to you in the secret place of prayer. And getting along with you to slip away and get with you, God. God, I pray that you would teach us what it is not to just do that in diligence, but also to do that in delight, to enjoy that time. And God, I believe that comes as you meet us there. God, I pray all across this room, brothers and sisters, all across this room, that you would move in all of our lives, God, throughout this next week and the following years of our lives, that you would move in us, God, to go to you in a secret place day in and day out, God, and meet with you. God, give us diligence to press through the times that you seem so absent. We trust you when you pull back your face for a time. But God, I pray that you would give us many times, God, where you are not far from us, but that you draw near to us and you give us your presence in prayer, God. God, I pray for all, all, the, all the places in that, God, all, all the people, God, who have struggled over the years with being faithful in prayer in the secret place. God, I pray for all of us in that. Lord, we have struggled at different times to be faithful in that area. God, help us to walk it out. Sanctify us in that area, God. That we might be people that come before you, Lord, in prayer continually. God, I pray that you would fill us with a love for the church. 
the love for the saints so much that drives us to our knees and calls us to cry out to you, God, for people that we know well and people that we don't know at all. God, fill us with a love for the church like you have, like we see there, like you have, Lord Jesus. And you lay down, God, praise you, you lay down your life for your bride. God, teach us to lay down our lives in prayer for the bride of Christ. Lord, help us. God, I pray for this church that you would fill us, God, with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, God, that we would be, we would be increasing in the knowledge of you, God. Lord, fill us. Now. Give us a pursuit of that, God. Open our eyes to your truth. That I pray all across this room for all of us here, God, every individual, God, that you would give us times in your word, day in and day out, God, where you reveal your glory to us and we fall down on our face and worship you for what we see in your word. God, give us many, many moments like that, please. Lord, you promised that we'd see you face to face one day and we cannot wait to see you, Lord. But until then, God, give us much of, as much of your presence, as much of your face as we can have in this life, God. And so, God, when we go to your word, I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to truth and glory, God. Help us to obey you there. God, give us, help us to see promises to stand on and help us to stand on them. Help us to see commands, God, and give us hearts of obedience. God, help us to see you, Lord Jesus, and have hearts of worship. God, fill us with the knowledge of your will. God, I pray that you please, Lord, that for every individual here, that you would push us through times of coldness and dryness, God. That you would push us through that with diligence. But God, don't let us stay at diligence. Give us delight in your word, delight in hearing from you. God, make us people of your word, people of the book. God, I pray for these actions that what would flow out of that would be actions of, of walking in a manner worthy of you, God. God, we want to please you. We want to please you, God. Thank you for opening the door that we would not be your enemies, but you died for us, Lord, and made us your sons and your daughters, that we actually have opportunity to please you, Lord. Thank you, God. Help us to please you day in and day out to please you, Lord. God, fill us with, with good works that are fruitful. Cause us to bear fruit in every good work, God. God, I pray that you would make our character like yours, Lord Jesus. That we would be like you in love and mercy and grace, God. And, and all the things that, that bring you glory, God, make us like you. God, let, let, I pray, God, that you would fill us with fruit in our labors, God, for the advancement of your kingdom. God, places where your gospel will be preached this week, God, give fruit to it, please. God, places where your word will be taught and, and, and we'll pursue making disciples, God, give fruit to it. God, we know that we've preached your gospel and we've taught your words, God, at times, and nothing seems to have come of it, Lord. So, God, we cry to you to give fruit to our labors, please. And, God, I pray for this power that you speak about, Lord, in your word. This power from on high. God, I pray that you would fill our church with strength. All power according to your glorious might. God, pour it out on us, Lord. Help us live lives, God, day in and day out. That can only be explained by, the, by, the, by the, this being your hand on us, God. So that you get all the glory. God, we don't want to live a life where we get glory for our diligence, God, and our success. 
Lord, let it be so glorious, so, so much of your power flowing through us that it's obvious that it's your hand, God, and not weak humans like us. Help us, God. Lord, I pray that you give us power for endurance and long-suffering with joy. God, I pray for the trials that have flooded this room, God, the, the, the hardships, the temptations that are tempting brothers and sisters, even right now, even in this day, even in the coming hours. The deceptions, God, that have been poured out on us, God. I pray for, against all those things, Lord, that you would cause us to stand strong in battle, to endure, that you would uphold us by your righteous right hand. God, you told us to cast our burdens on you and you would sustain us and you never permit the righteous to be moved. God, we stand on that word. Sustain us, God. Never permit, the, never permit us to be moved, God. Give us the power to endure. And God, we give all thanks to you. You are the God who has qualified us. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us from sin, delivering us from the power of darkness and bringing us into the light of Jesus. Thank you for qualifying us, God. And thank you, God, for sanctifying us. God, I pray that you would do these things that you've already, I praise you for what you've already done, God. And I pray that you would do it more and more. Thank you for the love that you've put in us for one another. Increase it, God, more and more and more. God, thank you for your help in these things. And thank you for hearing our prayers. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.